Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My very special guest this week is Dr. Kathy Platoni. Now she was commissioned as a U.S. Army officer back in 1979. She served more than three decades as a clinical psychologist before retiring as colonel back in 2013. She was deployed on four occasions in time of war at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, Iraq, and Afghanistan. She's a survivor of the Fort Hood mass shooting in November 2009, and she actually will talk about that during this episode. Uh, She was a debriefer to the NYPD following the attacks of 9-11. She's a member of the Southwest Ohio Critical Incident Stress Management Team. She's the Dayton SWAT psychologist, the Dayton Hostage Negotiation Team psychologist. She's uh, running her own private practice now, which really since August of last year has been almost nothing but besides first responders and military uh, and this is where I actually had the interview today so I was very blessed for her to take the time uh, to talk to me and, and also talk to all of you listeners so without further ado Dr. Kathy Platoni. All right welcome to this week's episode of the 25 Live. Thank you for uh, actually meeting me here in person. Jim, it uh, is truly an honor and a privilege. Dr. Platoni, this is, this is going to be great. I really do appreciate you making the time for this. We were actually scheduled one time before, and you, you asked to push this back to a later date because you had somebody that uh, needed to come in and get some help, and I said, absolutely, take care of them. I can most certainly wait. So, Well, bless your heart. I, I do appreciate you kind of working with me. I know you're super, super busy. That you could that would be the understatement of the year. Yes. yes. So, <laughs> so and and business has really picked up, you know, since the the Dean shooting, August fourth. Absolutely, yes. You you uh, just a small talk before we started here. It sounds like you are now uh, essentially on call twenty four seven. Well, that's a pretty accurate statement, yes, especially since those SWAT call-outs often come in the middle of the night. Oh, yes. I'm at the station where the SWAT, uh, one of the SWAT um, vehicles rolls out, so I, I hear them every now and then. There you go. They, they like those, those three or four in the mornings. <laughs> yes, they do. So, you know, uh, you know you're, you're, you've obviously been involved in uh, the military for a long time. Yes. And we, and we know that the military... Um, in a lot of ways, is similar to us first responders. Very much so. Um, so being a clinician and, and helping them kind of segues perfectly to, to our area. So if you were okay with it, could you kind of expound on your background and, and how long you've been doing this and some of the things you've done and, and how, um, how you are able to serve us greatly because uh, you've kind of been there and done that? Well, I've been in the trenches for a long time. Um, um, I deployed four times as a soldier in the U.S. Army, uh, Operation Desert Storm, uh, Joint Task Force Guantanamo Bay, which is Operation Enduring Freedom, um, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and again, Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. So I've seen plenty of combat, been on the front lines, just like firefighters and paramedics, EMS and law enforcement. Everybody's on the front lines. In urban warfare, there is no rear echelon, so anybody is subject to firefights and ambushes and IED um, explosions and rocket mortar and rocket-propelled grenade attacks, small arms fire. You're right in the the thick of things and and right in the middle of combat. So, yes, I am indeed a combat veteran, seen plenty of it. 
Um, I'm also a survivor of the Fort Hood massacre, which is the largest mass shooting on any mili military installation in U.S. history, November 5th of 2009. So I, I understand the dynamics of a mass shooting and the long-standing horrific impact of something like that. So dealing with the Dayton mass shooting was very familiar territory, although I wasn't there at the time, I dealt with the aftermath and in fact to this day I'm still dealing with first responders who are still suffering and struggling with the impact of such mass carnage and such massive loss of life, innocent life. So the two are not very different. We all wear a uniform, we all run towards the danger instead of away from the danger. I learned that real well on the date of November 5th when all of us in uniform stampeded towards the building where the shooting was occurring and all of the civilian employees were stampeding out the back. So that was a defining moment of my life and since then I've tried to devote as much of my life to, to helping first responders as I can. It's, it's become a calling and I feel very blessed to have been called to do this work. It's, it's kind of how, how I deal with my own survivor guilt from the Fort Hood massacre because um, I was at the top of the hit list. I was supposed to be the shooter's direct supervisor. I did not know that at the time, um, but he had a list of all of those people that he was going to deploy with. He was supposed to be part of my Army Reserve unit, uh, the 467th Medical Detachment, Combat Stress Control. So he knew exactly who was going to be at, in the building at, at and at what time they were going to be in the building where the shooting began. Um, it just so happened by a fluke that I was sent to another building with several other soldiers. So I wasn't there when the shooting started. So I, I live with the fact that somebody else got the rounds meant for me. And that's been a very ugly thing to deal with. But I've tried to turn that into something positive by devoting as much time as I can to volunteer activities, dealing with veterans, first responders, of all sorts and, and doing things for the community and, and treating first responders. So that's primarily the uh, largest part of my caseload right now, just the way I love it. Nice. Um, going back to that, um, you're there to help everybody else. Yes. When it comes to behavioral health. Yes. And whatever needs they may have. Um, and all of a sudden, you're put in that situation where you could probably use some help too. Did you? Yes. Was that a process? Was kind of a, just a role reversal kind of thing? Oh, it definitely was. Um, unfortunately, we had to kind of zip everything up because a month after the shooting, we deployed to Afghanistan, and we were a mental health asset for combat arms units. I, in fact, I was embedded with the Fourth Infantry Division in Afghanistan and the Third Infantry Division in Iraq. Um, so you have to put all of your stuff on hold, which was very, very difficult. And things kind of broke loose when I got home. Um, and it was a dear friend of mine, um, Captain John Fry, who happened to be carrying the dying and the wounded into the building where we were trying to save lives on that fateful day. And he came to me and he said, you know what? You need to talk to somebody. It, I was all over the place, and to this day I still do. So I was diagnosed with service-connected PTSD several years ago. Um, I've had to relearn how to navigate life in a very different way, but having it kind of gives me a leg up. I understand what first responders and other people, I mean, you don't have to be a first responder or, or a military person to develop PTSD. Any catastrophic life experience that befalls anybody can 
can result in PTSD. It doesn't have to if you get early, early on treatment, and it also depends on, on the severity and, and intensity of these catastrophic life experiences. But yes, I too have PTSD, so I go for treatment, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. No, and it's you being open about that, I think, makes it a, a lot easier for other people. It, it does. Know, I'm Having myself even been open about going to EAP or um, talking to peer supporters, um, I think that's opened the door to show that, yeah, this is all right. Exactly. If, if I can do it, it's okay if exactly. you do it. You know, if you broke your leg, you'd go to the ER, get it set, get a cast, go to rehab, get some physical therapy. PTSD is actually a brain injury. So it changes the way your brain processes information. You get stuck in the alarm state, and so everything feels like a threat. And that doesn't necessarily go away over time. PTSD is often a lifelong disabling injury. But with treatment, people can function very well, even with PTSD. So, you know, this, in the past decade, I'm sure there's been a lot of differences in the military. I can certainly feel like there's been a lot of differences regarding behavioral health, at least in the fire service. And, and I believe the police kind of echo that as well. If you think, do you think that things would be differently as far as you would have went on that deployment? You would have, they would have kept you home. You would have got help right then. And, and you know, I, I'm sure it was, in a way, it was, it was a good distraction to get to work. But you know what? That is actually a brilliant question. Because if we had been sent home and our unit was given the choice by uh, the chief of staff of the army to go home and put an end to the deployment and send another unit in our place. But that's what the shooter wanted. He wanted to shut down the mission and kill as many of us as he could. And we weren't going to allow that to happen. We were going to win this and we were victorious in deploying and having a really good deployment, a very difficult deployment carrying these burdens. But had we gone home, we would have also had to deal with the failure and the guilt for not having fulfilled the mission and letting the shooter win. So we went and we went proudly. It's a no-win situation. It was a no-win situation, but I will never regret saying yes to that deployment. And it was a unilateral, across-the-board decision by every member of my unit that we should go forward and deploy. And sure enough, we did. Wow, okay. Um, you mentioned earlier, you, you mentioned treatments. Um, but I think a lot of times people just think uh, when you go to clinician, it's just to sit down and talk like you and I are right now. But there's other treatments available. There's other resources that we know now that, that can help. What are some of those? Well, one of the most powerful and invaluable resources that exists um, in this community, and in fact from as far south as northern Kentucky to uh, counties north of here, the Southwest Ohio Critical Incident Stress Management Team. Um, I've been a member of that team for probably 26 or 27 years. Um, and that's really where I got the best training to perform the combat stress control mission. Um, and we are called into service on a frequent basis whenever there is a critical incident, no matter how critical or non-critical that incident is. Anything that involves a catastrophic life event, we are called. Um, our, our members, we're all volunteers, are extremely well-trained and seasoned because we've been doing this for well over 30 years, probably close to 35 years. Um, we have mental health professionals, 
law enforcement officers, firefighters, paramedics, EMS, and chaplains. And this, I, I think intervening in the early hours after any critical incident, anything that is exceeds the, the bounds of, of normalcy for what you do on a daily basis um, is a critical incident, even for seasoned law enforcement and firefighter personnel. Um, and that often precludes the need for treatment. If you deal with these issues at the onset and normalize reactions, teach them healthy coping styles and make yourself available on a one-to-one -one basis, even after the diffusings and debriefings, the outcomes tend to be very, very powerful. And yes, people who go through debriefings still need treatment on, on a case-by-case -case basis, but I think intervening at the onset is probably the most productive way to deal with trauma, and certainly all first responders deal with a tremendous amount of trauma. So we are one of the best community resources out there. DaytonHeals.org is an excellent resource um, that has tr a tremendous number of resources for the community at large. And there's also a number of um, behavioral health, mental health professionals in the community that specialize in dealing with trauma. Now, we're few and far between, but the, the ones that are in this community are, are very seasoned and very knowledgeable and talented at what they do. So this is that's absolutely great for everything here. But I know uh, I know I have a good amount of listeners here locally, but I have them, you know, throughout the U.S. and even Canada and Australia and and other places. Um, you know, the U.K. I saw pop up the other day. So uh, let me ask you this then: if if you were wherever it may be, and you and that you needed that one-on-one -on -one clinician experience mm -hmm. where you're able to talk to somebody that has that type of training, I mean, you're a rare find. You're not going <laughs> to... There's that lap I was talking about. You know, it's going to be hard to find somebody that has the experience that you have that's, firsthand. That's true. So, so where, uh, where else can somebody go and, or what are the qualifications that you're really looking for to be able to talk to that clinician that understands trauma, that that first responder can get adequate help in, instead of... Uh, perhaps scaring the clinician with some of the stories. Exactly, and, and some of the gruesome stuff that first responders deal with can be quite off-putting to clinicians, and I can tell you some stories about that. But I, one of the best ways to find seasoned clinicians is to go to the, for instance, in Ohio, the Ohio Psychological Association, to get a list of providers who specialize in dealing with trauma, um, or the State Social Work Association, or the State... Association for Licensed Professional Counselors. Also word of mouth through police departments and, and, and fire departments. Who do you use? Who are the seasoned clinicians in this area that you've called upon to help? Also, critical incident stress management teams exist in all 50 states and Canada as well. Can't speak for Australia, but I know they have a very powerful um, Australian Psychological Association. So I imagine they have a lot of seasoned providers and referral referrals to those providers. But the state associations for each specialty in mental health and local departments who have a lot of traumatized first responders is often the best place to start. Um, also, um, for 
first responders who are also veterans. The VET centers, the Veterans Readjustment Counseling Centers, are staffed by actual veterans who will treat any veteran for free and family members for free. And those are some of your most more seasoned clinicians who themselves have exposure to trauma by virtue of being a veteran or at least are well trained in that vein. So for veterans, that is also an excellent resource. Sometimes it's very hard to dig through community resources and find what has goodness of fit. I know that WHIO, in the literally in the hours following the Dayton mass shooting, compiled a list of resources for the community to assist in providing all sorts of mental health services for those affected by these tragic events. So it is hard to, to locate these, these resources, but they are available. And more and more so, um, there are many associations and agencies um, that are providing um, excellent treatment in, in group settings and individual settings. For instance, the Save a Warrior program, the Bridge. Many resources are popping up all over the country as we begin to recognize the tremendous impact of trauma on those who serve their communities as guardian angels of the public safety. How important is it to get your resource list wherever you're at to get that together now, to not wait until you have something that happens, which is what we had to do. That's exactly what we had to do in this community. Everybody thinks it can't happen here. Well, guess what? It did, and it does. Um, I think it's very important for anybody in a position of authority or even anybody who has the interest to start scanning the community and asking around, calling mental health professionals and other departments, who do you use, what resources are available. They are there. Um, I know that the uh, Tri-State Peer Support Network that um, is um, now providing for a lot of services for first responders has a tremendous number of resources at their fingertips for all first responders. The Tri-State Peer Support Network is really doing a wonderful job of calling these resources together. Very nice. Um, and you mentioned way earlier, you, you mentioned how um, PTSI, it's an, it's an injury. It is an injury. Um, you know, I've been to our state house, and I know it's this way in a lot of other places right now. Now, for our state, I'll give you the quick background. We're allowed to have PTSD type of resources available to us through workers' comp, but there is there's a catch. Oh yes, there is. And and that catch is, you have to have an actual physical injury to go along with that. Now, you're giving me that look. <laughs> I'm holding back here. <laughs> well, no need to hold back. Pure idiocy, okay. So there you go. Why is that ridiculous? It is absolutely ridiculous. PTSD is, is mutually exclusive and completely independent of physical injuries. Yes, you can have physical injuries that can be very traumatic, but PTSD often occurs without any kind of physical injury. Any number of circumstances can cause PTSD that do not involve physical injuries. It's just inconceivable to me that anybody can believe 
that you have to be physically injured and all in order to have PTSD. I, I, I can't, I can't walk my, my way out of that, that idiocy. I just can't. Here's another question regarding the same stuff. And I know the answer, but I get, I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> is, is PTSD, is that, is that treatable? It is very treatable. However, it is often a lifelong injury that you can learn to live with. But because it involves actual structural changes in the brain, it doesn't necessarily go away. And I have yet to see a case where it has. Yes, symptoms can wax and wane for a lifetime. Perfect example. I've had a number of Vietnam veterans come to my office for, for treatment who have never had a single symptom of PTSD for over almost 50 years. And something happens to trigger a response that takes them back to the Vietnam War and they are flattened. Yeah. I've seen it happen with firefighters. I've seen it happen with police officers. Sure. And you never know what that trigger is going to be. But given that, that also tells you that you're not always going to be steeped and, and, and struggling with terrible symptoms with, with treatment. Symptoms can remit, go into remission. So the, the rhetoric that I hear, because I, I get to hear the other side, and, and generally what it all comes down to is money. We, uh, we know that. That's, yeah, that's a given. Yeah, all the money. It's all about money. But uh, the fear is that uh, this is a, a lifelong thing, but you're... They say you're not going to be able to go back to work. They feel like we're going to have to retire and this isn't treatable and we can't go on and work. It's just, you know, once we follow this, we're done. And well, they're going I'm to get some, some type of pension and, and run away. And how, how silly is that? That, it, that is also ridiculous. I, I cannot tell you how many first responders that I treat are working full-time, extremely well, no problems on the job. They just need to know how to handle their triggers and how to de-escalate when, when symptoms become uncomfortable and disquieting. And there's, there's hordes of different techniques that you can employ even in the heat of the moment on the job. Something as simple as tactical breathing or sniper breathing. I work with PTSD. I've never worked this many hours a week ever in my life, even in the wartime theater. I've got PTSD. It's not slowing me down any. No, no not at all. <laughs> You've seen this grow, I think, not just with the military, but also, you know, again, here with our police and fire. Um, and it's got to a point where you probably saw it firsthand where... Uh, it was frowned upon to talk about stuff. You're supposed to kind of just suck it up, buttercup. Oh, hell yeah. I've been in this business 41 years. And, I mean, well, what does it... Let me... For the first question about that is just... I mean, how incredible has it been to see where it was to, compared to where it is? Oh, it, it, it's been a, it, a, just a 180-degree turnaround. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I deployed to New, to New York City twice in the weeks and months following... Um, the 9-11 attacks. Um, we were called to provide diffusing and debriefing services for NYPD. Um, even back then, it was known that people needed intervention as early on following an event of, of such epic proportions. Um, and I think that has slowly caught on to the point that now I'm covering 20 police departments to provide services to them, and a, co a couple of fire departments as well. 
also in the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks. Um, as part of our mission, we walked from ladder company to ladder company in New York City, asking them what we could do to support them. They turned us away. All they wanted to do was sell us their t-shirts. Well, we bought them also, but they wanted nothing to do with the critical incident debriefing model at all. And now look, we've got firefighters and paramedics on the Southwest Ohio Critical Incident Stress Management Team. Some of the best services have come about as the result of fire departments around the country. It's, it's been an, an amazing and, and, and just explosive um, series of events to see this come full circle and for such awareness to spread throughout, throughout the nation. I could just tell that the sense of, of kind of joy that you have seeing that change throughout the years. You know what? Not everybody's been able to see that change, but you, you've been there. You, you know what? It, it does make me feel joyful. It absolutely does. And we have won the battle. Here it is. Now, I, I, granted, I can only speak for this community, but a lot of the organizations that, whose emails and flyers and presentations I, I, read, I read about um, are just popping up everywhere. It, 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 in fact, I've done, oh gosh, about five keynote addresses in the last two and a half years for dispatch, for medical centers, for firefighters in, in several different states. And from coast to coast, so the awareness is that a is that is a there. new thing? Um, I've I've been doing yes, that is a new thing. As as far as the yes. the amount, yeah. Oh my God, yes, yes, it is a new thing, and it's only recently that dispatch has been included in terms of being referred and at following these critical incidents and keynote addresses to address the problem of never knowing how a situation ends and the horrific things that they hear on the phone, never knowing what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. We're only starting to recognize how this affects 9-11 dispatchers. Yes, I mean, they are a first responder. They are. They are and, first responders. And they, and they, for whatever reason, it seems like they've been forgotten, but they're the ones taking that call. They're they, the ones taking the greatest heat at the, in the very beginning. Yep. Yes, there's so much pressure for them to Ugh. to, to yes. make those decisions. Yes. So they're slowly, I've noticed, starting to be included. It obviously needs to be just widespread where they're included as one of us. And they have the same they, are. they have the same type of assistance available to them that we do. And they should. Absolutely right. Well, kind of the follow up question about the past, what do you kind of see for the future? That's a very good question. Um, I see more doors opening as far as people being referred for treatment without as much of a stigma as we've had in the past. In fact, the stigma has really subsided con considerably. Um, I think just knowing who the, who the providers in the community are, um, who are the most knowledgeable and, and experienced and, and feeling free to make that call. I just got another one today. Um, another one yesterday. Um, it, it is truly amazing how uh, people in positions of authority are feeling more comfortable in referring their employees who are in 
in the service, so to speak, um, and the willingness to come see us mm-hmm. without fear of reprisal. And one of the things, one of the first things I tell any patient coming in is everything you tell me in here is confidential. Unless I have reason to suspect that you are at risk for self-harm, whatever you tell me in here stays in here. It doesn't get out. I don't keep electronic health records either, so there's no hacking into my computer. (laughs) Nice. You know, um, I think a lot of that has to do with not just, you know, one of the departments that I, I know around here, a lot of them are doing this in in rookie school, drill school, to yes. where where they're actually from the very start, they're they have they have individuals come in there and kind of do the the behavioral health plug, yes, the peer right support the plug, yep, and just tell them it's it's okay. So You're they, right. You know that's not something that I had, and and now it's done regularly. They, there's a number of of mental health uh, classes that are taught. I know at the Dayton Police Academy, and they do a wonderful job of it. They bring in officers who have been involved in officer-involved shootings and who have gone the mental health route um, and, and really solid training, critical incident training for first responders. It, 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 it's wonderful to see how this has just flourished, not just blossomed, but it, it is flourishing, at least in this community, like nothing I've ever seen. And I, I'm, I'm so thrilled to be a part of this movement. Yeah. It's, I kind of feel like, I feel, I have the same energy you do regarding this firefighter cancer stuff. that mania? Stuff. Well, just, you know, I remember it just being taboo for so long, yep. this, this firefighter cancer stuff, and, and it really this behavioral health stuff, too, yep. that, I, that I've witnessed. In the shadows. And all of a sudden, it's in the front. Yep. There, everybody can see it, everybody can talk about it, and it is a good feeling. It, it is a great feeling. It still has a, a ways to go, but you can tell it's, it's winning, getting there. We're winning the battle. Absolutely. Right. I know you have some some limited time. Uh, I appreciate you fitting me in so much. Oh, I, I'm just delighted to do this. You, you have you know somebody else coming here briefly, but I wanted to bust out some of my rain I'm 25 questions for you. Uh-oh. That's okay. <laughs> I'll do that and I'll let you prep for your next appointment. Fire away. Well, so 25 questions here. Okay. You gotta. I let you choose your own fate. You pick your own number. Okay. And these are all, these are more fun. Okay. Usually more okay. fun. Okay. So, go ahead and pick a number. Uh, five. All right. What was your first concert? <gasps> okay, now I'm going to age myself. Jethro Tull, 1971 Rochester War Memorial. <laughs> That's pretty good. I saw him, I think... Was it last year or the year before for his 50th anniversary? No kidding. Yeah. Just over down the street. At the, Ro- at the Rose. Yes. Thick as a brick. Thick as a brick. <laughs> yes. Very nice. That's a good answer. Um, how about another number, though? Um, 12. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. This, this, no, this is, this is perfect for you. <laughs> Perfect. How do you manage stress? Skydiving. <laughs> really? Yes. Yes. Uh, well, obviously I can't do that in, in, in the cold months, but that is the ultimate stress reliever. That free fall from twelve or 13,000 feet is the biggest rush, and it's, it's like I feel everything just melting away. And in, in the recent years, I've, I've taken several different 
police officers with me, uh, especially those who have PTSD or who have had a lot of trauma, and, and it is part of their treatment. Hmm. And it is, a, they want to go back for more. So if you look at my, at my website, my Facebook page, you'll find some of the pictures from a jump that we did back in September. I was flying the, the police flag. Very so, cool. Now, I, I'll be honest with you. I only do tandem jumps because I don't weigh enough to, to be a solo jumper. I'd end up in, in Utah somewhere. What? <laughs> you just had to ask, didn't you? No, that's great. That's great. I did it once. That was the first time and last time. Oh, I did not think I was more scared than anything. Well, if you're ever up for it again, call me. <sighs> yeah. I, I, don't wait for that call. <laughs> we can figure out something else. We can go, we can go bowling or there something. There we go. <laughs> All right. How about we do one more? Okay. Um, 25. What the hell? Do you have a special place you like to visit regularly? The drop zone at Skydive Green County. <laughs> Besides the skydiving, is there any place else? Yes. I'm originally from upstate New York, a little town called Yorktown Heights. And um, I don't get to visit that often, usually about once a year. Um, but that brings back so many wonderful memories, but sad memories also. Um, I left there when, when um, I was about 18, go to college and then graduate school. Um, but my family is still back in that area, and it, it is just a beautiful, beautiful area, very rural. Um, um, it's just, it's kind of a, my, my own special paradise. Um, another, pl well, I, I love to go back to, um, Geneva, New York, where, where I attended college, Hobart and William Smith, which is on Lake Seneca, one of the Finger Lakes, which is, um, breathtakingly beautiful. So, um, other than that, my, my special places, up in the skies over Greene County. How, a follow-up question of that. Question number 26. Okay. <laughs> How did you end up here in Centerville, Ohio? Well, that's an interesting question, too. Um, I've been all over the United States and the Middle East with, with the U.S. Army. Um, I'm actually in my 39th year of military service. Um, I was forcibly retired from the Army in 2013 due to the drawdown. But in 2015, I was recruited by the Ohio Military Reserve, which is a branch of the Ohio Army National Guard. So now I'm in uh, State Defense Forces as their brigade psychologist. Um, but um, I was uh, stationed at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, um, and on a blind date met my husband who was active duty Air Force. He is a flyer. Um, he was the navigator aboard Air Force Two when uh, George Bush was vice president. So we went on this blind date, and I was a confirmed bachelorette, but well, that was that. So after I left the Army the first of six times, um, he was uh, transferred or PCS to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So several months later, I followed him from Fort Belvoir and uh, joined the Army, Army Reserve and got deployed four times. So um, that's how I ended up in the Dayton area. Uh, worked at Miami Valley Hospital in the pain unit for five years, uh, St. Elizabeth's Regional Pain Program for a few years, and then in 1993 um, started private practice, and in 19, or 2001 uh, bought this historic house here in Centerville, and I've been here ever since. Yeah, this city always has, you know, it's always close to me in my heart, because I started my fire service career right here at Washington Township Centerville. Son of a gun! Back in 99, so 
All right. Still, still close up a lot of these guys here. The, it, this is a wonderful community to work in. I, I, I love being here right in the middle of, of Centerville with all these beautiful old homes. So what a place. And it's centrally located. So every, most people can find where my office is. But that's, that is how I ended up in Centerville. Perfect. So uh, less six years of deployments overseas. <laughs> nice. Well, again, thank you for everything you're doing for our first responders and, and back, also back at you with that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, whatever. You're all <laughs> <laughs> I have fun doing this. I can see why I, you I, would. I love getting just the message out, you know, and, and if I help anybody along the way, that's great. I love talking more than anything, so Well you're certainly good this at gives that. Me an I, avenue to talk. I love your list of twenty five questions. <laughs> We'll go over all of them some other time. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll let you get out of here and get ready for your appointment. Thank, Thank you again you. so much. You are so very, very welcome. Thank right. you. This has just been a delight. All right. See you later, listeners. Or wait, no, I'll see you. I will, I will let you listen to me later. How's that? There you go. All right.